This paid podcast is produced by Slate Studios in partnership with Campbell Soup Company. I love the idea of cooking food that's, you know, proactively good for different people. Um, I, I think bringing global ingredients into our repertoire is really important to me. I, I have this amazing job where I can network, I can talk to other chefs about the future of food. This is Uncanned, a podcast where we ask the tough questions about food. I'm your host, Dana Bialik. And in this episode, the question we're uncanning is, how can we make quality food accessible to all? It's an issue we explored in our last episode when we visited Habit, the food tech startup in Oakland, California. And Habit's offerings, these custom-tailored menus matched with each consumer's biology, is truly amazing. But it's still not yet available on a mass scale. So I wondered, what are big food companies doing to bring real, quality food to consumers? We set out to find the answers. My first stop, Camden, New Jersey, which has been the headquarters of the Campbell Soup Company since 1869. That's 149 years. We headed straight to the test kitchen. It's where a team of chefs develops recipes for new products. This is where that pork chef team works. Hi, everybody. Hi, chef. We're standing in a huge kitchen. Campbell's products line the walls, which are painted the same shade of red I recognize from my soup cans. It feels homey in here, and it smells good. Five chefs are hard at work around a large kitchen island, and leading the charge is Master Chef Tom Griffith. His official title is Vice President for Campbell's Culinary and Baking Institute. But to his co-workers, he's Chef Tom. My role is to make our food tastes more delicious than anybody else's, you know, and everything is based upon what we feel our consumers want. And more and more, that means fresh, quality ingredients. That's something Chef Tom calls real food. For me, real food, you know, if I can go out in the garden and, and pick a salad, that's real food. So I, I think it's, it's about um, classics, you know, I think it's about the raw ingredients. You can definitely see that here, where chefs are prepping bowls of minced garlic, lemongrass, cilantro, and green chili. They are planning to make a Thai-inspired soup. Chef Tom says that the focus on real foods has really shifted what Campbell's does. You know, would you ever think that Campbell's soup has black garlic in a recipe, or a galangal like you tasted earlier, or some of the foods we have? Um, it's really exciting. And a lot of that started with Chef Tom. I don't think people really knew what to do with me or where I fit in. You see... Chef Tom spent most of his career working in top-tier restaurants and teaching at the Culinary Institute of America. And he is literally a master chef. That means he's one of 70 chefs in the world who has passed a strenuous multi-day cooking exam. And many of his friends didn't understand at first why he decided to leave the restaurant world. They didn't think of Campbell's as a place with renowned chefs who actually cook. A lot of other companies don't have that. Um, A lot of companies work with scientists and product developers and, and we feel that when chefs and scientists work together, that, that's like incredibly the way to do it. So why did he decide to come to Campbell's? 
Well, he really connected with the mission of bringing healthy food to as many people as possible. I, I could fight malnutrition. You know, I could fight childhood obesity. There's so much I could do to save the world, and I have such an altruistic side, so I, I think it was never something I thought existed. I didn't know anything about it. And the more I'm here, the company's becoming more and more into real food, and there's just so much opportunity for a chef. And being a master chef is about more than just cooking. It's about being a leader. I think there are so many people who can cook so much better than me all over the world. I, I think it's more about your demeanor and your professionalism and your civility and how you act and how you mentor and inspire and teach. At Campbell's, those skills are key. Chef Tom oversees the Research and Development Department, or R&D. His team finds inspiration all over, whether it's abroad or from a local food truck. Drummond is the newest addition to Campbell's culinary team. He's the executive chef for R&D, and he's an expert in Asian cuisine. I spent 30 years actually in restaurants and running them all over the world. And uniquely as it is, a lot of my background is actually Japanese cuisine. Today, Chef Gerald is experimenting with a soup recipe inspired by the team's travel to Thailand. We're featuring a chicken galanga and coconut soup. Um, very, very flavorful. There's some very unique ingredients in there. Some of the unique ingredients you're going to get is galanga, which is in the turmeric ginger family. There's also um, lemongrass, which is also very recognizable. It has, it's very floral, sweet as well. There is some cilantro in there, some fish sauce, some green chili. So you can just tell by those flavors, it's going to be a very intense soup. He loves his job. Being in the restaurant, I would get ingredients but I didn't really know where those ingredients came from. And also, how did they get to me? There's a whole wealth of information and the technology and the scientific part behind it that I'm so excited to learn about. And in this case, some of the ingredients actually came all the way from Thailand. So there's some chicken in there, straw mushrooms, coconut, and something else that's very, very unique. Very distinctive and a little bit goes a long way. Smell that? Oh, wow. It's kefir lime. Yeah. So, again, this will also permeate, and it's a, this is probably going to be the most distinctive flavor in the entire soup. Chef Tom says this soup is part of a larger project to bring new flavors to a wide range of consumers. We started, we started researching Southeast Asia, and we brought in a consultant, and he prepared a trip for us to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, Singapore, in Thailand, you know, we know that this is going to become bigger and bigger for consumers, so we wanted to start to study and learn how to work with kefir lime leaves or galangal, uh, some of the spicy peppers. These global ingredients are popular with consumers and also may have health benefits. There's a lot of, um, especially a lot of Asian ingredients and seaweeds and things that are incredibly high in antioxidants and delicious, so 
We're trying to learn about that kind of food. Figuring out how to make something like Thai soup at scale isn't easy. It'll be a long process. It takes about two years by the time we kind of discover something um, to figure out how to process it so that we can make a million cans of it, a million portions of it safely. So this, when you taste this, this is just so flavorful and delicious and vibrant. That's what our food is. And I was just about ready to taste the soup. Mmm. That is good. It's authentic, huh? Mm-hmm. I love the citrus, so that's like really nice. And so is this something we'll be able to buy in a can at some point? Yeah, I think so. I hope so. Yeah. There's a sense of discovery in Chef Tom's test kitchen, and it's consistent with the way he was raised. He and his team have a complete reverence for their ingredients. It comes as no surprise that Tom grew up eating directly from his dad's garden. We'd grow like these just unctuous tomatoes that that were so ripe, um, zucchinis and things, and I was allowed to garden. He always loved to cook, but in his household growing up... My mother's Italian. I was not allowed in the kitchen. Like, it was her kitchen. Don't even go near it. So it wasn't until he was in the Boy Scouts that he realized his true knack for cooking. While out on a backpacking expedition, he convinced his troop to bring along a Dutch oven. They're like 20 pounds or something. So we were committed. You know, we'd kind of divvy up the weight, and we'd start making beef stew in the Dutch oven on the campfire or... You know, Bisquick was like was like the biggest thing in the world. We'd make we'd make peach cobbler on a camping trip. And when it came time to go to college, he applied to the Culinary Institute of America, CIA for short. There wasn't a doubt in my mind, and and I didn't apply to five other colleges. I didn't think about other career paths. I just signed up and got in. Thank goodness. After getting his degree, he landed a job at Le Cirque. At the time, it was the best restaurant in America. Much of my good fortune is by being simply being naive. I, I simply bought like Bon Appetit or Gourmet, and I looked in the back and I found these really good restaurants. And, and I called up and asked for the chef and, and made my way somehow to Le Cirque. Eventually, he opened up his own restaurant, and guess who was his pastry chef? His mother. It was so funny, she would make all of these desserts. She would have this whole dessert cart filled with desserts and they would stay for dinner and she'd be so proud. And at long last, his mom started to let him cook for her. And then my mother thought I was just amazing because I was studying cooking. Clearly cooking runs in the family. Chef Tom has three children, and two of them are chefs as well. When they all get together as a family, there's, well, a lot of cooks in the kitchen. It's, it's funny. They come over for Christmas Eve, and we'll have seven fish or nine fish, and they always want to have one. It's easy to see why his kids followed in his footsteps. Chef Tom loves what he does. I, I love the pulse, especially of the kitchen. I like the sounds of the kitchen. I like the, the heat, the uh, intensity, the, the um, respect, the concentration. It just feels really comfortable to me. But he also remembers how challenging his first jobs were. You know, I, I can remember 
crying on the bus every day on the way home, just breaking down because it was so difficult. And he's carried that into the work he does now. He really cares about his team. Our job is very, very important. And um, I have to support the chefs the same way that I ask them to support our initiatives and be there for them. So I think we're a pretty tight-knit group, very diverse, uh, different backgrounds, different ages, you know, different everything. But um, it, it's really about being a family. And he's still in awe that he gets to wake up every day, head to work, and help people eat better. with Chef Tom, I was curious about what happens to real food outside of the test kitchen. That is, how do we ensure that people across the country have access to food made with real quality ingredients? So I called up an expert. My name's Yael Lehman. Yael is the executive director of the Food Trust, a nonprofit based in Philadelphia. Our mission is to ensure that everyone has access to affordable and nutritious food. Uh, We do that in a number of different ways, including running farmer's markets in low-income neighborhoods, doing nutrition education at sites like uh, recreation centers and food pantries and schools. Uh, We also improve the food choices at corner stores and work to bring high-quality grocery stores into low-income neighborhoods. Can you give me a sense of when you say quality food, what are you talking about? (laughs) That's a really good question. Because we all have a different idea when we say quality. I guess the, the easiest way to put it is when you walk into a store, would you want to shop there? <laughs> so when you're looking around and, you, and you're looking at the produce section, does the produce uh, look delicious and fresh? Also, are the prices fair? You know, when you talk about quality, people think about different things. But is it affordable? Is it at the right price? Oftentimes in low-income neighborhoods, which is where we focus most of our work, food is much more expensive in lower-income neighborhoods, especially for healthier foods like produce and things. It can be a higher markup on some of those items. So I also consider that part of quality. And it seems like in getting people access to quality food, the first step is also making them literate to quality food. It's true. There's also a part for all of us, I think, that Trying to figure out what's healthy can be a very confusing thing (laughs) for any of us. And um, lots of us might look at the back of a food package and check out the nutrition label and have no idea what we're looking at, where it's talking about sodium levels or, or even the calories. It can be hard to figure out sometimes, do they mean the whole package? Do they mean just a tiny corner of the package? What are they talking about? So a part of it is also becoming more educated. And so with all of the work that we do at the Food Trust, um, along with increasing access to healthy foods, we also always try to accompany that with nutrition education as well as marketing. And, you know, again, like on the marketing side, oftentimes it's the healthier foods will have a very low budget. So, for example, I don't think any of us usually see marketing or advertising very often for things like apples or strawberries but we might see a ton of ads for unhealthier foods like candy bars and, and soda and things like that. So, yes, trying to also increase the appeal of healthy foods through education and marketing. 
There are several obstacles to food accessibility, and it's something Yael sees in urban and rural areas. You can go for miles in some cases without being able to find a high-quality grocery store, for example. And there's a long history of how this all came about, but, you know, the way that we all shop now has changed dramatically. And for the most part, you see, especially in low-income areas, rural and urban, what you'll find is a lot of fast food and maybe convenience stores, a ton of convenience stores or pharmacies that now sell food, but it's mostly high-processed, really unhealthy foods. Just straight-up lack of accessibility can be one of the barriers. It just isn't around. It's just hard to find. A lot of us end up shopping in the way that's most convenient to us. And so what surrounds us and what's easiest to drop in on, depending on where you're shopping, tends to have a big impact on your decisions. And healthy foods need to be more affordable. One program that addresses this is SNAP, or Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. It helps 45 million people a year afford groceries. Basically, when you spend money on your food stamp, what's now called a SNAP card, but most people are familiar with the term food stamps. But when you use your SNAP card to purchase any healthy items, especially produce, those incentive dollars can be used to double the amount of purchasing power that you have. We've seen that be really effective in driving up produce sales in low-income neighborhoods, but also just making sure that folks can accept your SNAP benefits can make a big difference. And we've seen that at our farmer's markets. If you're running a farmer's market in a low-income neighborhood, I've talked to moms, and when they say, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad that you guys have the ability to take my SNAP benefits, because otherwise this wouldn't be affordable for me. Yael has traveled around the country and seen that most parents want the same thing. Everybody wants to feed their family healthy food. They want their kids to grow up healthy. They want to make sure that, for example, if they've seen high rates of diabetes in their family. They don't want their kids to end up with diabetes. And I know it's on people's minds. So things like making sure that healthy options are available in schools, in the neighborhood, in after-school programs, at daycares, at preschool. There's just multiple points in our lives where we're eating and places where we are have food options. And so in my mind, if we want to take a very comprehensive approach and try to hit people in multiple locations and make it as easy as possible to access those healthier choices. So how does processed food fit into this picture? Like, can processed food be quality food? I think that processed food can be quality food. But not all processed foods are alike. And I'm not a registered dietitian, but I I do believe that there's a place for processed foods, and that some companies do this much better than others. (laughs) So that's where the education piece comes in, is learning, you know, who does it well. And processed foods are honestly just a reality in our lives. We're not going to be eating 100% fresh things. If you go to anybody's kitchen, including mine, you're not going to see 100% only fresh product, especially If you live in a lower-income neighborhood where there's not a lot of fresh product but where there's a lot of processed product, it can go a long way towards improving your health if you just know how to choose the better processed product as well. Yael has been at the Food Trust for nearly 18 years, and in that time she's seen that people have started caring more and more about the quality of their food. Even, you know, people watching the Food Network and just like, whoa, how do you cook that and learning ingredients and The growth of farmer's markets across the country we're seeing in this very dramatic way. When I first started, 
here at the Food Trust in 2001, there was a little bit of skepticism around farmers markets and, you know, are they going to be dirty? Is the quality okay? That kind of thing. And, and of course, now the, the growth in farmers markets has been dramatic over the last few years. And everyone's very passionate about it. In fact, the trust level has switched. You know, now people are saying, oh, that's so awesome if I know where the food has come from, if I've met the farmer who grew this. And especially with young people, just a lot of enthusiasm and interest in food justice and interest in what is this food, who grew the food, where did the food come from, and also in cooking. I just feel that this is just one of the great joys of life is food. It's the way that we gather with our families and with our friends, and it makes life better when you have great food as part of your life. (laughs) And it's been fun to just watch this growing interest and movement in it. And large companies like Campbell's are evolving and responding to match the growing interest and demand for high-quality foods. They're always staying on top of the trends. And it's not just Campbell's. I've seen other food companies following these trends as well. And I went to see someone speak recently who runs a very large food company, was talking about how um, even within the company itself, among the different products that they had, they were watching their own employees choosing the healthier products, for example, at their employee meetings or whatever. There's just a higher consciousness around food and healthy food and quality food, and the companies are watching this, and they're adapting and now, I believe, offering more options that folks want to buy who are interested and are concerned about those things. And for the food trust, big companies can be important partners. Companies like Campbell's are doing a great job of scaling up quality foods. And we've at the Food Trust have really enjoyed partnering with Campbell's because they are the experts at this. One of their corporate headquarters is in Camden, New Jersey. And so we've worked for several years now in Camden with them. And for example, help to promote some of their quality products as well as other quality products in smaller stores like corner stores throughout Camden but also through promotion and in campaigning at the schools within the city. And we've seen that, especially when youth get to taste the products, they're very enthusiastic. Because when you use a term like nutrition education, it can sound very boring, like you're going to a biology class or something. But when you can make it interactive, and especially when you can incorporate actually tasting quality products, people get very excited and it sells itself, if that makes sense. The Food Trust is working to help change things at the policy level, too, starting with some of the youngest eaters out there. One of the policies we've been advocating for is around something called farm to early child care. And it's exactly like what it sounds. There's this movement nationally called the farm to school movements, farm to institution movements, and the idea of bringing locally grown produce and other products into hospital cafeterias and school cafeterias and preschool cafeterias. And so we've been advocating, for example, on the state level here in Pennsylvania to increase the amount of funding available for early child care centers that want to incorporate farm-to-early child care programming. We've also worked on the federal level to advocate for a program called the Healthy Food Financing Initiative, uh, which now has been able to help Um, folks all over the country to open up grocery stores and other healthy food retail in underserved and low-income neighborhoods. I was lucky enough to go to several ribbon cuttings where there might be a neighborhood where for a 
couple decades there hadn't been a grocery store, and now suddenly there was an opening. And the joy when these stores open up is really something. It's something to see. And it sounds so silly like a grocery store. Some of us just take these things for granted. But if you don't have easy access to a grocery store, imagine what your daily life would be like. It's just a lot more difficult. <laughs> and uh, I remember going to one ribbon cutting of a grocery store that opened up in New Orleans after Katrina. And um, one parent came up to me and said, this has now changed my life. And I know it sounds cliche, but truly, if you think about the role of food in our lives, it's, it's a huge part of our daily existence <laughs> and also the way that we take care of ourselves and our family. And it's going to take all of us to solve the problem of limited access to quality food. It's going to take nonprofits like the Food Trust. It's going to take community groups. It's going to take farmers and teachers. And we also need to partner with groups like Campbell's and other food companies. It's going to take everybody all together. And I truly believe that if we all work on this together, and I've seen it with my own eyes, that we can improve food access as well as health of our children and our families. Whether it's trying a daring new recipe or eating a comfort food you grabbed right off the shelf, choosing quality food can make all the difference. That's it for this episode of Uncanned, a podcast produced by Slate Studios in partnership with Campbell's Soup Company. Vera Carruthers is our lead producer. Production assistance from Leah Campbell, Lily Butler, Michelle Siegel, and me, Dana Bialik. Sound mixing by Jen Munson. Our theme music was composed by Cody Fitzgerald. Special thanks to Chef Tom and his team and the folks at Purpose Generation. You can find out more about our show at uncannedbycampbells.com. If you like what you heard, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.